0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon, and for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org.
1: So I want to start off this morning, um, just, you our the worship band, they're awesome, right? They're fantastic. So just just be in prayer for uh, their fearless leader. So... We got text this morning that Terry's father had passed. I know some of us had seen on, on the realm that he was not doing well, but so he passed early this morning. Um, I want you to please be in prayer for that family as they deal with that, but also as Terry steps into a month, a well-deserved month sabbatical. So pray for him as he prepares, as he prays, as he works through that, and as he spends some time. Also be in prayer as our elders are away with Pastor Joe. They're finishing up a week-long weekend retreat, so they'll be back um, sometime today. But just pray for them as they kind of finish up how God's leading us in a church. So I just want to take a moment just to start us off with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for just, I thank you for the elders. I thank you for their hearts and souls as they desire to lead us in a wisdom in a, in a wise way. We thank you for them, we thank you for Joe as you've given them this awesome, but also very incredible um, thing to lead, this, this church to lead, so we ask for you to lead and guide them and be with Terry as he takes this this month off refresh him renew him do a personal revival in him and also be with his family as they step into this next uh, week or so and they there's so much going on father and all those other people that have that have burdensome hearts today people have lost wives and family this past month or two we just know that it's it's hard but they know that where they are is a better place. So we're thankful that you love us so much that we are the family of River Bluff and that we can comfort each other the way you comfort us individually. We thank you for this and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Give me one second as we get ready. Have you ever been Let me phrase this. Have you ever gone someplace that you didn't want to be? Have you ever been taken someplace maybe you didn't want to be? Maybe as a kid you're thinking you remember a vacation or someplace your mom and dad took you. Have you ever been someplace where the people didn't want you there? For example, many of you know I was in the military for 21 years, I was in the Navy and one of my ships was on, um, we were in France or Italy, I can't remember. We were in some place and we're sitting there and we always had the jokes going, right? I'm from Cincinnati they call that the North. I think that's the Midwest, but we'll call it North because everybody calls it the North. Kyle is shaking his head, it must be North because um, he's the professor, so he knows. So anyway, we're there and we, we pull in and there's a big sign that says, go home, Yankees. They didn't, obviously, some of them didn't want us there. So I'm staying there with a friend of mine. He was from LA, lower Alabama. So we had the feud going on between, you know, north and south all the time. He goes, hey, look, Smitty, they don't want y'all here either. I shook my head. I said, man, he means us as Americans. He goes, it says Yankees, it doesn't say Americans. I couldn't, I couldn't, as he would say, I couldn't learn of anything. But they didn't want us there. There are times when we're places that we may not want to be. We're going to go through one of those right now of a place where the Israelites were that they didn't really want to be. But we're going to learn some lessons through that. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. So my question is, you know, why are you here? Why are you here in Charleston? Why are you here in America? Why are you here in these seats this morning? I don't believe it's by chance. I believe there's a reason why we're here i believe there's a reason why america is found we're gonna be doing you know next couple days people will be doing fireworks fireworks and fireworks my dog is gonna be scared so if y'all live in my neighborhood take my dog and do fireworks with him because he doesn't like rain and thunderstorms and all that but so there's gonna be a lot of stuff going on for our birthday which i love i love america about maybe eight or nine years ago, I think I loved America too much, until I went on my first mission trip. Once you get on your first mission trip, you figure out America's great, but there's a whole lot of people out there that are just as good. I was in Egypt and there's a lot of Egyptians that are awesome people, awesome Egyptian Christians, and there's a lot of Egyptians that weren't, that were Muslim, that were just as nice. But why are we here? I want to read you a couple of passages, just because it's 4th of July, it's one of my, it's a, one of my favorite holidays, It's because it gives birth to one of my favorite countries. I'll read you a couple of passages, a couple of letters, excerpts from letters. One was from Christopher Columbus. Why did Christopher Columbus leave where he was to do what he did? Well, in his writings, he says this. He writes, it was the Lord who put in my mind, I could feel his hand upon me. The fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. All who heard my project rejected it with laughter, ridiculing me. There was no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit because he comforted me with rays of marvelous illumination. And he encouraged me continually to press forward without ceasing for a moment. And toward the end of that same writing, he wrote this. The fact that the gospel must still be preached to so many lands in such a short time, this is what convinces me. So he left everything to do it, but he was doing it for God's glory. And the Mayflower Compact, as they wrote it, it says, in the name of God, amen. These were, this is the Mayflower, Mayflower Compact, November 11th, 1611, 1620, excuse me. In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord, King James, by ye grace of God, of Great Britain, France, and Ireland King, defender of ye faith, etc., having undertaken for ye glory of God and advancement of ye Christian faith. The advancement of the Christian faith is why they were coming to America. And then the Declaration of Independence. There's a ton of references to who God is and the sovereignness of who God is in our country, but just, this is, I'm just reading a few. Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with one another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the nature's God entitles them. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they're endowed by the Creator, capital C, God of the Bible, Almighty God, God the Father, with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is partly why we, have, we are here in America. And I love the fact that most of our founding fathers were Christians. Most of them found, we founded on Christian principles. But we've gotten far away from that, haven't we? Now this sermon isn't about being, being a, a Christian in America or not even just being American. This We're going to talk about in the city, for the city, for the glory of God. I believe we're here for a reason, and we're going to read this in Jeremiah 29, but, and we're going to take the, what, they, what they've learned and what they had to go through, apply it to our lives so that we can be those people where we live, work, and play for God and his kingdom. If you read with me, if you're, if you're in your place in Jeremiah chapter 29, if you read along with me, starting in verse 1. It says, now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the, and the queen mother of the court officials, the princes of Judah, Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the smiths. Did you read that? I hate to stop scripture there, but it says smiths. I'm it means craftsmen, artisans, I'm just saying. But my name's in there. Anyway, as we read on, I had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elias, the son of Shephan, and Gemerah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Here's the letter, starting in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. You see that? God sent them into exile. Nebuchadnezzar thought it was him, but it was God. Sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give, the, give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply they do not decrease. Verse 7. Seek the welfare, the word also means peace, Is where it's from the word shalom. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, or in its peace, you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams which they dream. For they falsely prophesy in your, to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been accomplished for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare or plans for peace, and not for calamity, or the word also means evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart." I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll restore your fortunes, and I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. I see as we look at this, I see a couple of truths. One is God calls us to be content where he has planted us. It was God that sent them into exile for the disobedience, the idolatry, all the bad things they were doing, God said they need to go into exile. They were sent there. But when they're there, God gives these directions. He says in verse five and six, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and take their produce, take wives and become fathers. What he's saying is, when you're there, where you live, work and play, do things that I would do. Be godly men and women. You're in exile, but that doesn't mean you're not supposed to give good representation. As we live, work, and play, as we go about our daily lives, we're supposed to take Jesus with us, right? There's so many times where I hear people say, Well, that I'm, you, know, you see something on Monday or Monday through Friday, and they act maybe different than they did on Sunday. We're supposed to take Jesus wherever we go. They were going to be there for 70 years, it said. You're gonna be on this earth for a while. You're gonna leave something behind. You're gonna leave something behind for your children and their children and their children. What are you gonna leave behind? You can leave stuff or you can leave a godly legacy. As we go through this earth, it's not just to make a living. That's important. It's not just to have fun. I like fun. I was told this morning that I'm supposed to be an adult, especially since I was preaching this morning. I was told, you need to be an adult because I was having fun with somebody. And you people that are laughing know me best. But we're supposed to be those godly men and women. We're supposed to be Godly people where we live, work, and play. Because to seek the welfare of the city, we will have welfare ourselves. So how do you do that? How do you go about our lives in a Christian way? How do we be those Christians where we live, work, and play? I'm glad you asked. Can give me some suggestions. A couple of years ago, I started working out Um, And it wasn't, I really started working out just because a friend of mine was opening a gym and we talked a little bit and it really wasn't for any spiritual reason other than I just wanted to be there for my kids when I got older. That was it, that was my spiritual reason. I said, I wanna be the grandfather like my my stepfather was that can ride the Tower of Terror at eight o'clock in the morning when he's 75 or 77. I don't remember how old he was, but he's riding the Tower of Terror. I'm thinking, that's the guy I wanna be, right? And if I was living the way I was living, I probably wouldn't be that man. So I did it kind of for selfish reasons, but I wanted to leave something for my kids. I wanted to be there for them. But let me tell you, where I live, work and play, when I go to this, when I go to the CrossFit box I belong to, I talk to people all the time about who Jesus is. I've had more gospel conversations after workout than I've had in years anyplace else. And that's not just because I'm a pastor, it's because of, we're just supposed to do that, right? Uh, we talk about who God is. We talk about um, marriage. We talk about church. We talk about all sorts of stuff because that's just what we're supposed to do. Now, maybe, maybe not working out is not your thing. Maybe going to a coffee shop. Maybe going out to dinner. Maybe going to a book club. Whatever it is, you're supposed to take Jesus with you. Don't leave Jesus at home. Don't leave Jesus at church. Take Jesus with you. And I've heard people say, well, I just wanna be, be good, and then they'll know about Jesus. I'll just be good, I just, I just can't say it. There's a theological word for people that wanna just be good and not use their words. It's called hogwash. No one's getting saved by you just being good in front of them. No one's going to ask, no one's going to say, I want to live just like that because he's living for Jesus and not doing a thing. They're just being good. There's a lot of good people out there, correct, that aren't Christians. We need to open our mouths and we need to say something about why we're doing what we're doing. Sometimes that can be very awkward, correct? Sometimes you can be very uncomfortable, of course. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It means we need to do it. We need to be Christians where we live, work, and play. We need to open our mouths and tell people why we're doing what we're doing. So what are, what are some other suggestions? Um, maybe just being part of a civic group. Maybe where you like to give blood. Maybe you give blood, right? Give blood here? Those people that, give, that we give blood uh, once or twice a year, I can't remember. The people that come here, we love all over those people from Red Cross. Why? Because we're to show them the love of Christ. Maybe you wanna do a walk for water, maybe you wanna walk for Alzheimer's, walk for ovarian cancer, whatever it is, wherever you're doing for good, take Jesus with you. Tell people why, yes, I wanna raise money for whatever, but I'm doing it because I think Jesus would want me to do this. That's easy enough, right? I wanna serve the homeless. Serve the homeless, but do it in Jesus' name. We need to make a difference for our city because we're in our city for God's glory. Maybe go to, I know a friend of mine is gonna run for some kind of political office. I can't remember what it was. And he's doing it because he wants to influence people for Jesus. It's a great idea. What a better platform. I was part of our HOA for two years. How many people in here know HOAs need Jesus? (laughs) Thank you. HOAs need Jesus. Amen, yes it's good though, but so we're supposed to take Jesus where we go and we're supposed to where we live, work, and play. So at work. When you're at work, how does that, that work to be a Christian at work? Some people say, what if I'm a Christian, overt Christian, and they fire me? So my thought is, what if they fire you? Who do you want to be more loyal to, Jesus or your employer? I'd say Jesus, just maybe off the top of my head. I don't know what that means, where you work. Some of you work in great environments that are awesome, that you can talk about Jesus. Um, years ago, I was talking to Jesus, I was talking about Jesus with some friends of mine in, in one of the shops I was a part of on my, on my last ship. And this guy comes and goes, you can't talk about Jesus. I said, I'm gonna talk about Jesus. He said, no, you can't. I said, then you stop talking about your fun stuff. What you like, also I'll stop talking about what I like. About four or five months later, he came to me and said, hey, I wanna talk about Jesus. So we talked about Jesus. You see how that might work sometimes? It doesn't always work. You talk about Jesus at work, sometimes people may not ask you to lunch with him. Then people might go, yeah, he's a Christian. He's not gonna wanna go party with us after on Friday night. They might not invite you. That's okay. Still talk about Jesus. Still tell him why you do what you do, where we live, work, and play. It's very, very, it's, it's vital. And it says in verse, look look here in verse seven. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. How many people know that we need to pray for our leaders? This is not a political speech. I'm not, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. We need to pray for all those people that are in some sort of government. There's some crazy stuff going on out there. Y'all with me? Y'all, y'all watching the TV, right? There's some crazy people out there doing crazy stuff, wanting to do crazy stuff. We need to pray for those people. And I'm not talking about just good lift service to it. I mean, really pray for them on the daily basis. Pray for them, not, don't just pray for what you want. Pray for that they will be, they will be, um, wise men and women of God, or that somebody, they'll have wise men and women counselors, but pray for them. Pray for your bosses at work. I did want to mention that coming up in a couple of months, uh, the GLS is coming the Global Leadership Summit August, August 8th and 9th to learn how to be a better leader or influencer at your job. So if you want to know more about that, you can, you can go on our website, you can come talk to me. Um, but come, come there and learn how to be a better Christian leader. I want to read Romans 13. Look at Romans 13. Talk about praying for leaders. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, I don't know why God appoints people he appoints. I can't tell you because there's some people I'm, I'm watching that are leadership, I'm thinking, God, why did you allow this person to be there? But that's not my job. My job is to pray for them. My job is to fall under their authority, not bad talking or whatever, but my job is not to question God. Now remember the Israelites were in captivity and they were supposed to live among the people in their captivity. They were supposed to pray for the people that were holding them captive. Think about that for a moment. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Do we pray for our leaders? Do we pray for the people that we don't like? I remember I worked for a guy who was kind of like, not really my bossy, but uh, I kind of, he worked in a separate department. We had a terrible relationship. He was mean, he was ugly, cussed a lot, just, just, you know that guy that just rubs you the wrong way every time you see him, Right? Some of y'all have that boss, some of you have those people in your lives. And I heard, I heard some pastors say, pray for, the, pray for your enemies. I'd read in the Bible, I just never did it. I started praying for the guy. Now, we didn't go out to lunch and we weren't best pals, but our relationship got, got better. So praying for others does help. It helps you see it from maybe their point of view. Maybe their point of view. Pray for them. The Bible says we should live peaceably with all men. um, Sorry, Romans 12. One of the reasons why we should we should be content where we are is it's a little different than their situation, but we're not home. We we are citizens of heaven. In Philippians. 320 says for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ We're not home yet, right? This is not our home We have to realize that once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior You are no longer a citizen of the United States of earth. You're a citizen of heaven Everything is gonna feel really weird after that. It should feel weird, right? You should feel like this is not my home because it's not we, try, we don't try to conform to the ways of the world. We conform to God's ways, his biblical ways, and hope the war, world conforms to us. Don't be the other way around. Don't be the other way around. We're supposed to live in the world, not be out of the world. What I love about the, the, to me, when I read this section, um, Jeremiah 29, I see this principle that God does not leave his children. God is for his children. He will not leave his children. Look at Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Joshua 1 5 says no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life just as I'm with Moses so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Hebrews thirteen five says keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he said I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you know God is with you if you know that God is for you, you can be, in con- you can be content with where he has for you. If you trust God with your whole eternal life, and eternity is a long time, then we need to be content with where he has for us now. You can't be non-content here and upset and grumbling about what God has for you and go, but I'm really happy with the heaven I'm gonna have, but I'm not happy with where you have me now. Those are opposite thoughts. Be content. but me, So I had a conversation with a lady four or five months ago and she was looking for a different job and she goes, Guy, I don't feel like I'm really, I, I don't want to be not content because I, I know God says I'm supposed to be content, but I feel like I'm supposed to move up and do better and have more responsibility. I said, if that thought comes from you, from God, and you're a Christian, you're seeking after him, there's nothing wrong with that. I believe if you're, At work, you have a job, you should be the best at your job and I think you should go up the ladder as high as you can go. That way you can influence more people for Jesus. So you can be content and allow God to move you where he wants to. So what does that mean? That means maybe if you're praying for a certain job or a position or whatever and God goes, no, it's not for you, you're content with that. You're content with God going, not now. If God says, I want to give you more responsibility, I want to move you up, or I want to move you somewhere else, be content there and move. Allow God to do that. But we're supposed to be content here on earth because we're not even home yet. We're supposed to be content. Look at Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, how to abound in any in every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. First Timothy six, but godliness without contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of this world. Being content is a sign that we trust God in all his ways. Are you content with where God has for you right now? Or are you grumbling with God about where you are or what the circumstances are in your life? I'm not saying that when things go wrong, we shouldn't talk to God. I'm not saying that we shouldn't should have conversations with God. What I'm saying is, if God says, this is what's going on, you need to be content with that. I was told years ago when I was learning, learning how to be a leader, they would say, you'd go to, the leader would give you an order or whatever, something to do. And I was taught that if you didn't like it, you would tell them once your idea, right? You'd say, you know, I don't think that's a really good idea because. Don't just say it's a bad idea, not gonna work for most people. Say, I don't think it's a good idea, but this is what I think we're to do. And if the leader says, no, no, we're gonna do it this way, you go, roger that, you do it that way. That's what I was taught. And I think if, you went, if something was going on in your life and you say, hey God, you know, this really hurts this is really a hard time for me. Can we do it this way? And God goes, nope, we're gonna do it this way. Even Jesus prayed in the garden to say, hey God, can you take this away? And God's like, no, nope, this is the way we're gonna do it. And he said, all right, not my will, but yours. It doesn't make it easy, it just makes it the best. So not only does God call us to be content where he's planted us, and I think he's planted us here, God calls us to be watchful of deceivers. Look at verse eight and nine. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream for they falsely prophesy, prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them declares the Lord. If you go back a chapter, there's, there's, a, um, there's a prophet named Hananiah. Hananiah was in the midst of the captives. Now, Jeremiah was back in Jerusalem sending a letter. Hananiah was there, and Hananiah was like, "Hey, we got this. Two years, we're gone. Two years is over. That's all the captivity is being going to happen—just two years." And the people probably thought, "That's awesome. I could do two years, stay it on my head, right? Two years is no problem." And Jeremiah was like, "Nope. It's going to be seventy years." Just because it's what you want to hear doesn't make it right. We have to sift. All the stuff of the world, everything we listen, we have to sift it through what the Bible says. Now, do we always do that right? Of course not, but we have to try to sift this stuff through the Bible because we know that down, down the road that Hananiah was wrong and Jeremiah was correct, because Jeremiah heard from the Lord. We need to be very careful of what we're listening to, what people we're listening to on TV, what podcasts we're listening to. We just have to be very, very careful. And it throws us back that we need to know scripture. So we can, we don't, we, need to know, we don't need to know what the wrong people are saying. We need to know what scripture says. And when you know what scripture says and you hear the wrong thing, you kinda go, ah, that doesn't sound right. So I used to listen to this, I probably shouldn't say this, but I used to listen to this guy on TV. He would tell a joke at the beginning of all his sermons. He started the joke and some of his jokes were funny, some of them were less than adequate. But then he'd start preaching or he'd start teaching and he would be completely askew with what the, word of, the God, uh, word of God said. You can't do that. You can't be listening to people. So I, st- I just turned him off. I started turning him off after the joke, because I wanted the joke. If you know me, I wrote jokes down. I wanted the joke, and I thought. And then I thought, I said, no, I'm, just gonna, I'm not gonna listen to him at all. So how do we do that? How do you know what the Bible says? How do you know what the Bible says? First of all, let me give you a couple of warnings. In Colossians 2, verse 8, this is the warning that um, Paul gave to the people in Colossians. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What he's saying is, what people talk, that's great. But what comes out of the Bible is more important. What Christ says is more important not what the world says. So when we listen to these political people, you go, okay, that's good, what, what do they say? But what is, what's the Bible say about whatever the issue is? What's the Bible say? And that's more important than what they say. 2 Timothy 4, now, Paul writes to Timothy, the pastor, and he gives him this, this warning to uh, preachers and teachers, but it works also for us it says i charge you in the presence of god and of christ jesus who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and by his kingdom preach the word that word preach means to proclaim so proclaim the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke exhort and um, and complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into mist as for you always be sober-minded endure suffering do the work of evangelists fulfill your ministry you need to be very careful there's a lot of people that are teaching just If this was truth, they're teaching just like this, just barely off a little bit, we've gotta be very careful. And it says in 1 John 4, it says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit, that's how we know. We test the spirit, that spirit that's inside of us, that Holy Spirit that we're supposed to be growing and nurturing and getting to know better and learning more about who he is and who the Bible is, we're supposed to learn and get to know him, and through that, he will help us But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. Now he's not talking about... The big A, Antichrist, the one person that's gonna come and just mess everything up. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people that are against Christ. Antichrist, people that are against biblical teaching, people that are against the word, people that don't want you to learn, people that say, you know what? There's more than one way. There's gotta be. Look at all these different religions. That's what somebody Antichrist would say instead of going, the Bible says, There's one way and that's through a guy named Jesus Christ. She said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to me but but by me through the Father. So you have to choose. Biblical teaching is more important than what people are espousing. Listen, if I'm up here talking and I'm talking something wrong or saying something that's not biblical, I hope someone out there says something. If I was up here saying something, if I was up here saying, you know what? God loves everybody. Everybody's going to heaven. Someone better tell Joe really quick and get me off staff because that is wrong. There's only one way through a man named Jesus. We need to know these things. Does that mean you're always gonna know all the scripture all the time? Of course not. What that means is you're seeking, you're searching, and that way when someone says, they ask you a question, you go, I'm not really sure, I wanna find out. And then you go find out, and then tell them, tell them what you learned. Because we can't know, the, it's hard to know all of what scripture says. But we need to try. We don't need to listen to deceivers. Because when you know the Bible, the more you know, the more you listen, the more you read what the Bible says and good biblical teachers, then you hear something wrong and it'll rub you the wrong way. You'll get it. You'll go, oh, that doesn't sound right. And don't give them, don't give an inch into your thoughts and your life from people that are teaching the Bible wrong. So not only does God call us to be content where he has planted us, God calls us to be watchful of deceivers. They're everywhere. God calls us to trust in his sovereignty. Look at verse 10. God's timing is perfect. Verse 10 says, "For For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been complete for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. We know that happened. We know that God did that. We can trust God in his plan. We can trust God in his sovereignty. All right, I'm going to make some people mad here in just a moment. It's just letting you know. It's just, you're not, you're not going to be happy with me. But then, I hopefully, you'll, then I hopefully you'll like me again in just a moment. Y'all ready? Here we go. Verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord, plans for welfare or plans for peace, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. That promise? It's not for you. That promise is for the children of Israel at this time. Right? When you do Bible study, when you study your Bible, there's three things and the most important three things of Bible study. Context, context, and context. Right? The context is, this is a letter to the captives of the children of Israel. That they will go back. That all this stuff in 70 years will be given back to them. Awesome. We are not the children of Israel. We are not in captivity. Our promise is better. Our promise is, is better that when we go through this life, and in this life, you'll have hard times, right? Anybody having hard times? Anybody in the last four or five years have had hard things go on in their life? It's hard. What the Bible teaches is this is a hard life, but when you get to the end of it, you get to go to be in heaven. You get to go live with Jesus. That's better than Jeremiah 29, 11. That promise was just to go home. Our promise is to go home in heaven with Jesus. That's a better promise. I like that promise better. I mean, yeah, I would like to have a lot of stuff if God wants me to have a lot of stuff, but he says they had all this stuff, but their promise wasn't for heaven. I'd rather not have any stuff and get to go be with Jesus. Ours is our promise is better. But this promise, as he says, he gives them this promise that they'll have this. And then it says in verse 12, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. And if you seek, in verse 13, if you seek him and find him and search for him with all the heart, verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Are you seeking God? I'm not talking about seeking God as in I need to be saved. That's the first seeking. I believe as a a Christian you were doing that. God was drawing you to himself and you were seeking him. You may not have known you were seeking him. There's a lot of people out there that don't know they're seeking Jesus. I've talked to so many people the last couple years. I know they're seeking Jesus and they don't even know they're seeking Jesus. Because they're searching for something, they just can't put the finger on it. But when we seek for Jesus, He will be found by us. I need to seek Jesus daily. I need to seek His ways daily. I mess up a lot. You can ask my wife. But there's a lot. There's not enough time in the in the day but we make mistakes, but we seek Jesus and he will be found by us. Look at Hebrews 11:6. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. If you seek him in faith, he will reward you. It says it right there. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. Philippians one, verse six. For I am confident, the very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Who are you seeking? Now, a lot of people they listen to podcasts, they listen to this sermon and this sermon. You know, years ago, after I was a Christian for just a couple years, I was really excited. You know, when you get that really excited, you get to be a Christian. You're like, this is awesome. I'm I'm so in love with Jesus. I started reading books. Christian books, good Christian books. Months, months went on, months went on. Next thing I knew, I'm thinking, I'm reading Christian books. I'm not reading the Christian book. I got away from reading the Bible. Because I was reading this devotional, I was reading this commentary, I was reading this thing. I'm like, no, get back to reading the Bible. If you're not seeking Jesus on a daily basis, the Holy Spirit to live through you on a daily basis, you need to get back. If you don't have a personal quiet time, a personal devotional time with Jesus, you need to start one this afternoon, at latest tomorrow. Because without knowing who he is, we're gonna make a lot, lot more mistakes than we already do. We're not gonna be content with where we are. We're not going to understand the deceivers if we don't get to know who he is and his sovereignty. So a couple of weeks ago, it was, uh, I think it was about a week, week and a half ago, um, my wife gave me this wonderful, she said, she goes, read this. I said, okay. It was a devotional by, um, I think it was Charles Stanley. It was a parable. It was, it was really cool. Let me. Sorry, I figured I read it. It kind of fits right here. I'm going to read it to you. So just listen. Just sit back and listen for a minute. So imagine two grains of wheat lying on the floor of a warm and cozy barn. One day the farmer comes in and tells them, I want to take you out of this comfortable barn and plant you in the earth. I'm going to place you in the cold ground and cover you with soil. It will be dark and you will die. But I promise that you will, be, you will multiply it and become more fruitful. The first grain of wheat turns down the suggestion. No way, he says, count me out. I like my comfort and I don't wanna die. But the second one, carefully considering the plant and discomfort of dying, decides the promise of future harvest is worth the sacrifice. So the farmer takes him outside, plants him in the ground, while allowing the first grain of wheat to remain inside the barn. A few days later, a small green sprout begins to appear over the, over the seed that was planted. Then it grows and becomes a tall stock of wheat that produces 100 more grains. For the next 40 years, the farmer plants all the seeds that originated from that first grain of wheat, and year after year, the harvest multiplies. Meanwhile, the grain of wheat that stayed in the barn remains there all alone, never grown or multiplying, but he has stayed very comfortable. And he ends it this way. Which grain of wheat are you? Are you playing it safe? Or have you, you let Christ plant you in the world? The only way you'll become useful and fruitful in God's kingdom is by abiding in him and trusting that he desires for your life. His desires for your life are worthwhile. So which one are you? Are you nice and comfortable in your house and your life and your stuff and everything is going on? You get this nice job, nice house, nice things. You're going, you know what? If I give my whole heart to Jesus, He's gonna ruin it all. That's so wrong. You give it all to Jesus and he's gonna make it better. It's gonna be different, but it's gonna be better. He wants to make your life so much more than it is. He wants you to seek him. He wants to plant you right where you are. He wants to move in and through you where you live, work and play. And I believe that we're in, this, we're in this city, state, and country for a reason. I'm still searching sometimes for what exactly I'm supposed to be doing each and every day, but you know what? You seek him, you'll find him. You'll talk about him, God will open up many doors. We're in the city, for the city, for God's glory. Not just to do good stuff. We're here to do good stuff, but we're supposed to do good stuff for him, for him. So, we live in a great country. Fourth of July is coming up in a couple of days. Um, I want you to just continue to pray for our country, pray for the stuff that's going on. And as you're doing that, as we kind of think about focusing on praying for our city because we're in this city, I want you to take a couple minutes and watch this video.
0: We place our faith. You are the one who gives us freedom. You have endowed us with inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And may we pursue you with the passion that you first pursued us. As we celebrate our great nation, we remember the sacrifice and turmoil that this country was born out of and that continues to shape us today. We know that you are not done here. We know that we are far from perfect and we know that you have a plan. We pause to remember that you are our God and we are the people of your pasture. Help our country turn toward you. Bring revival to this nation Give our leaders clear vision and sober minds. Bring peace and justice to our schools and unite us all as brothers and sisters. God, we ask that your kingdom would come and come quickly. May peace and prosperity come to your children living in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Amen.
1: Pray with me, if you will. Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful that we live in a country that allows us to do what we're doing this morning. Many countries do not. I thank you that you have placed leaders over us, Father. I pray for our local leaders, our state leaders, our national leaders, Father. I pray that you will give them wise counsel. I pray that as the people of America, we will do whatever we can do to show how much you love us, how much you care for us. Lord, I pray for one today that may not know who you are and they may decide to follow you today. I pray for us as we leave here in just a little while that we will go to where we live, work and play with a different purpose. A purpose of sharing who Jesus is and what you've done in our lives. So I pray, Lord. Lord, I pray for River Bluff Church I pray for the elders as they finish up their retreat, Father, help them to have a clear vision for us here. I also pray for us as we get ready to worship through our giving, Father, that you use this money for your glory, to make your name known, to make your name great, in and through our city and through our country. We love you so very much, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit rivergluff.org. Now go change the world.